the people of sake actually brought me into sake. Back in 1988, this place was actually in Ginza on the main drag. At first it was kind of soy sauce, it was miso. To the point where it actually changed my life. New Year's Day 1989. Uh, not just sake as a beverage, but all the culture and history. And Welcome. You are tuning in to a brand new episode of Sake on Air, the world's number one podcast dedicated to expanding the dialogue around Japan's iconic beverages, sake and shochu. My name is Justin Potts, one of your regular co-hosts here on the show, and this week I am joined by Sebastian Lemoine, as well as a very special guest, Mr. Jan Soanen, who is the marketing director for Pernod Ricard Japan being responsible for some of the most iconic international labels in the world of spirits and wine, we wanted to learn more about the company's very first foray into sake. With a product called Link, first released in very limited quantities in 2018, Pernod Ricard brought together the renowned blended scotch whiskey producer Shivas Regal with the incredible sake producer Masuda Shuzo, makers of Masuizumi Sake. In this interview, we dig into a lot of the details surrounding the processes involved in creating and bringing in an unprecedented style of sake to market in Japan, as well as the motivations, goals, and challenges for a company such as Pernod Ricard in bringing an entirely new category into their portfolio. A quick note on this week's show, this is the first time that we have done any recordings since Japan entered a state of emergency following the impact of COVID-19 which means that it's also the first recording that we've done entirely remotely, physically distanced from our co-hosts and our guests. It also means that the audio is just a bit rougher than usual. At the time of releasing this episode, the state of emergency has been released in all of Japan's 47 prefectures, and things are slowly beginning to get back into motion. However, we will likely still be recording a few more episodes remotely prior to getting everyone back together for our standard recording format at the Japan Sake and Shochu Information Center. We just kindly ask for your patience and understanding as we gradually transition into the world ahead of us along with the rest of you. So with that, let's get on with the show. So let's, yeah, let's dive into our subject and I'm very happy to bring a sake innovator in front of his microphone. And he's representing an international company which has its roots in France, and he's French. So I'm going to say, bonjour, Yann. Ouais, bonjour, bonjour, Sébastien. And to uh, assist me with this interview and uh, always ask his very challenging questions, I have no other than... Hello, this is Justin. Joining in, my, my, my French will be minimal this session. My apologies in advance. Well, thanks for being with us um, in this difficult environment, Jan. I mean, well, talking about an environment, I'm sitting in front of my personal computer, so it's not really, it's not uncomfortable. Um, but as, as explained, the issue will be uh, possibly sound quality. We, we will do our best. Um, may I ask you to start with a short introduction about uh, the Pernod Ricard group and, and of course yourself and your relationship with the group and alcoholic beverages and your relationship with Japan and Nihonshu. Yeah, so first of all, um, Sebastian and, and Justin, a big thank you to, uh, to host me on Sake on Air. It's, it's, uh, 
uh, I, I introduced myself a bit after, but you know, after five years in Japan and, and, and being a beginner in sake is actually um, it's really meaningful for me to make uh, to, to make an interview and, and you know have the chance to tell about my passionate story about sake. And, and so thank you for for that. Uh, I'm obviously as well uh, at home uh, with a bit of noise behind <laughs> in front of my computer. But sake is not very far. It's just nearby in the fridge, and uh, hopefully we, we, we can have a, uh, a good taste a bit later. So indeed, it's a, it's a bit of a, of a particular, particular situation at the moment. Um, but I think the passion is alive, and the, and the passion for, for the taste of sake is alive. So super happy to, uh, to have this interview. Right now is the best time. So a quick, uh, quick words of introduction. So, so, so my name is Jan. I'm French, uh, 46 years old. I've been in wines and spirits industry for, I would say, since 1966. Uh, no, sorry, 1996. Sorry for the mistake. Um, and, and working in various countries. And I, I came first in Japan in 98. I just spent two years and I was a young uh, um, uh, French VIE working at Remy Cointreau and I, I fell in love with Japan. I discovered sake at that time. But I stayed only a year and a half and didn't have the chance to really explore and understand sake. Uh, I had the chance to come back many times to, 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 to Japan after that, but when I really came back with, to settle in Japan in 2015 with my family, I really wanted actually to deep dive a bit more in, in sake. I understand, you know, uh, what's behind taste, the culture, the diversity of, of, of terroirs and, 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 and stories and houses and families. And, and of course, I met also with Sebastian and who, uh, who gave me actually uh, the chance to, uh, to test some sake and, and opened the door uh, to the world of sake for, for me. Uh, I guess later on we'll talk about uh, what we've done since then. Re regarding your question on Pernorica, so Pernorica is, um, is, is a co-leader of the wines and spirit industry. I think it has the largest portfolio of, uh, of, uh, of brands uh, of wine and spirit in the world. Uh, not present in sake <laughs> until now. <laughs> Well, for for our listeners, uh, I'm sure many of them will certainly be familiar with um, Pinot Ricard, but I, you're more than welcome to list off a few names of um, products because I imagine there are there are a lot of names in that lineup that I, I think people will be familiar with. Yeah, so Pinot Ricard is uh, is of course well known from the the family, the Ricard family, and, and actually Ricard is the most well known uh, French pastis uh, brand in France, not so well known in Japan. Uh, so the group now has expanded to, to a multinational company with brands such as uh, Whiskey's uh, Shivas or Ballantines, uh, Jameson from Ireland. A uh, lot of Japanese people would know as well brands like Bifiter Gin, Kalua, Malibu, uh, Champagne, Perrier Jouet and Moum, uh, or, or some, for example, Australian wine, Australian wine Jacob's Creek. Um, so really a wide portfolio uh, in all categories. Um, and, and more and more, actually, we start to add to the portfolio some, uh, I would say, beautiful uh, small craft uh, distilleries or breweries or, or wineries. Uh, and, and sake is one of these uh, is, is one of these uh, story that is just starting. Uh, the Kyoto Distillery uh, in Japan is another of these stories. Uh, 
Kyoto Distillery has just actually joined the, the, the portfolio uh, a couple of months back. Can, can you share a little bit of the background with us um, about this particular acquisition? Or I mean, it's fairly recent, isn't it? I mean, when, when was it announced? I see. Well, it was announced in uh, February, so it's, uh, it's obviously very new. Um, it's been a long, a long process actually of, um, of of meeting with the with the founders um, and uh, uh, discussing with them how actually Panorica could uh, help uh, expand actually the uh, the production on one side, but as well as the presence of uh, the you know the main gene brand of the Kyoto Distillery Kinobi uh, around the world. Uh, and, and so the whole idea actually is that Panerica is joining uh, the Kyoto Distillery team, um, helping to, 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 expand, to expand the brand. Um, a couple of years back, actually, Panerica has, had invested in a gin company called um, uh, the Black Forest Distillery in Germany, with a gin brand called uh, Monkey 47, that you may know. And it's the same story. It's a story of bringing in the house, in the family, uh, entrepreneurs uh, who are actually uh, building um, stories, brands, spirits of very high quality with a very strong cultural uh, origin. Um, and we've, you know, we've always wanted to, uh, to, to, to be more present in Japan with, uh, you know, beyond our distribution company having a real production footprint in Japan and uh, well I think the Kyoto distillery was uh, was a great opportunity to, uh, to, to to do that I mean was it easier to approach for you a Japanese gin um, compared to, 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 to sake or other distilled spirits in Japan yes it's it's easier I mean it's I don't know if easier is the best word but it's easier because we understand gin. Which means, you know, everywhere in Panorica, from the headquarters down to, 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 to the different countries, we understand gin. We, we sell gin. We, we, we can quickly uh, understand and the value in gin. And we also can quickly actually know how to sell it one way. We know what we can bring. In sake, it's uh, much more difficult because nobody knows sake in Panorica. Let's be honest. We are passionate about sake, but we know it's, uh, it's, it's uh, very fragmented. And it takes time to understand it, just to taste the taste of it. You know, you, you need to educate yourself. So I guess simply sake is easier because the people of Panorica are not familiar with sake. That's interesting. So the, the focus of the show is looking at sake, of course, and then also shochu and aomori are major topics as well. And I, that makes a lot of sense to approach a category that from a business standpoint, you're familiar with and you have a market that you're able to utilize um, both the know-how and those resources, but there's still, with something like, say, like shochu or aomori, you have this, there's a lot of potential in categories like that. There's some, I mean, there's obviously a lot of learning that has to happen, a lot of communication that has to happen all across the board. Um, but the idea of taking a, a spirit with such a, a rich um, history and unique culture uh, behind it, is that something that you're looking into anything that you are pondering at the moment what or, or and if not sort of what are the unique challenges to that um that you see i mean i i think it's a it's a it's a fantastic question what 
what's difficult for a group like Panorica is that we try to uh, expand from being a, a very French company, you know, very specialized in the French spirits, which was Ricard in the, in the 70s, in the 80s, into becoming a global group with brands that actually can have a global presence. So categories like whiskey, gin, vodka have a global presence. When we talk about shochu, aomori, uh, you know, it's very, you know, pretty much one country or a couple of country uh, specific. And so the group is trying to stay away actually from this type of, uh, of opportunity uh, at the beginning. So the first challenge of Panamerica in the past 20 years was actually to expand its portfolio with global brands and global, in, in global categories. Before, uh, now looking back uh, at more uh, local country-by-country country, uh, opportunities. Uh, that's why categories like, I mean, Shochu, Aomori are, are still not on the map. Whereas sake, of course, sake starts to have more of a global presence. Uh, and there is interest for sake clearly within Panorica, uh, in countries like China, Hong Kong, Singapore, in France, in the UK, in the US, of course. But yeah, Shochu, Aomori is, is, is still very far from that. But there, there is a, a tangible interest then in sake as a category. I mean, that's obviously that's something that's also very high, super local to where we're at here as well, too, that there isn't the same degree of global penetration as far as knowledge. What, what is the difference then right now when you look at it then between, say, sake and shochu? What is, what is that line between this is something that has a global presence I, I like your question because it's not um, basically we are um, now we are in sake because just because of the passion of a couple of people. You know there is no there was no actually strategic thinking behind it. At the end of the day, it's uh, it's me and a couple of my team members who just loved it and, and met a fantastic sake maker and decided to you know try something together. Um, basically, a sake age in in, in whiskey cask and, and see and see what we get. So it started as a, you know, as an experiment, as an adventure. And now here we are with a product that, you know, that's really good. And, uh, and maybe you're gonna, we're gonna get somewhere. So you, you have, we have to step back here. You have to tell us a little bit about uh, the project, what it is, I mean, the concept and how, how you, how you got there. Yeah. So, I mean, it's uh, it's basically, it's a three years project now already. So under our Shivas uh, Scotch whiskey brand, every year we, we uh, award actually some uh, entrepreneur in Japan. And a couple years back, we, we awarded uh, Hidetoshi Nakata for uh, what he's doing uh, in, uh, for craft sake in Japan. And um, at that time, we discussed with him very openly about uh, cross-experiment between categories in wines and spirits that we were doing. So for example, we had done... Uh, a cask exchange between now Jameson Irish Whiskey and Devil Craft Microbrewery Brewery in Tokyo. So Devil Craft in Tokyo has aged some of its beer in Jameson cask that we travel from Ireland. And then we send back those casks, which had beer inside, back to Ireland and finish the whiskey in this cask. And therefore, at the end, we could have a beer aged in whiskey cask and a whiskey aged in beer cask. And, and, and that's interesting stories and tastes. And we were Talking about that with, uh, with, with Nakata-san, and he, he, he said, well, you should meet with, uh, with Masuizumi, with, with Masuda-san. Uh, he's very innovative, and you know, he, he would love, actually, to, to experiment something. 
And yeah, this was three years back and, and that's how it started. Uh, so we imported a couple of uh, four casks, actually. <laughs> we imported four, four casks in Toyama, put it four different types of sake in there, just to see, and, and uh, aged for uh, six months. So we are checking on a monthly basis how the, the sake was actually impacting, uh, so the cask was impacting the taste of sake. And uh, after six months, we, well, we decided to blend. Um, and, and, I, and I like that story because at the beginning of it also, we are thinking, you know, what can a group like Panorica bring to sake? You know, we are not rice experts. We, 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 we don't know the process very well. So, you know, what we could bring actually is, is an art of blending and uh, the art of aging. So we, the idea was how do we bring these two components with sake to create something uh, new, different, innovative, interesting. So six months later, we had this, uh, you know, this sake blended. Uh, part of it was uh, Yamada, Yamada Bo, part of it was Yamada Nishiki with wine yeast. And we even had a little bit like 5% of uh, Genmai at that time. And I can remember very, I mean, we had some very interesting samples. I mean, didn't we? I mean, I remember something which had such a strong barbecue taste. Again, Mai was bringing that kind of barbecue taste and, and Yamada Nishiki, that really like sour, sour, uh, almost like pickle uh, type of taste, but really that, you know, carries the, the bitterness and the length at the end. So bringing these different elements together, working on the proportion uh, helps to basically uh, create um, a product which is uh, at the same time balanced, fruity, has the whiskey notes, but retains some, uh, some freshness. Uh, some uplift at the end and well that's how it came up as simple as that so the end product so real quick so the name of the product i don't think we've introduced that yeah so the name of the product is a link uh which is simply basically the link between two culture two companies masuizumi in toyama shivas regal in scotland and then we are looking for common you know, what is common between these two companies? And we found an interesting fact, actually, is the distance between that the cask had traveled from Scotland to, to Toyama, which is exactly 8,888 kilometers. And we said, well, that's funny. That's an interesting fact. And, and you know, number eight is also the sign of, of, of being linked together on infinity. And it's a lucky number. So we said, OK, quadruple eight, here we are. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it was done in-house in-house by the team and then we, we created the design and did the label quickly and and that's it and so those so those first four test products that you you separated into four different casks those four that initial four ended up being used in the final composition of the end product or was there a trial and error process following that as far as i remember so we had four casks one cask we didn't use at all and then at the end of the day, we had 70% of the, of the final liquid. Seven, we did only 250 bottles huh, of the first batch. 70% was Yamada Bo, uh, 25% was Yamada Nishiki, and 5% was Genmai. And uh, we threw away uh, the majority, actually, of the, of, of the sake. We couldn't keep everything. So, for example, Genmai, out of a cask of uh, 250 liters, we we kept only uh, a small part of it in the final blend. And that, that's interesting. The, the initial four, actually, well, three of the four ended up being part of the final product. 
Do you remember what the process or what the conversation was like initially when you had to decide what what liquid are we going to place in these four bale, barrels? Was there any, or in these four casks, was there any sort of index or any sort of guideline that was propelling your, your thinking or reasoning behind what to use initially? Well, it's, it's, uh, it's very interesting because we didn't have any uh, preconceived ideas of what to do. So, you know, we were simply drinking sake in Toyama. You know, that's really simply how it happens. Just drinking sake in Toyama with Masuda-san, spending time there, understanding also uh, what type of sake is doing. And then it was really about what do we like? What do we want to put in the cask? What do we like? What do we want to put in our final blend? And, and you know, that idea of, you know, we will put in our blend what we like, you know, has been there throughout the project. And I would say we, so Yamadabo, the Yamadabo and the Yamada Nishiki came that way. And then the Genmai actually was an idea from Masuda-san. He said, oh, I want to try that. That's going to be great with whiskey. Let's try it. Uh, so it was a mix of, what do we like? What do we want to put in it? And also what uh, Masuda-san, who has a strong experience, wanted to, to do. And so last year, I mean, late 2019, was really the first year for the, for the, for the, for the product, wasn't it? Like the official launch. Yeah, a bit of, of chronological background. So last year, 2019, we really created the first significant uh, production of, uh, of Link. Um, 12,000 bottles. Um, so obviously we brought actually um, many more, 25 more casks actually to, uh, to Japan in, uh, in January 2019. And so last year we, so we had, yes, about 30 casks and we, uh, we aged this time with a bit more, uh, with an idea in mind, which was to recreate the taste from the first year uh, so we put it in cask what we wanted to have uh, at the end. The challenge in the second year is that sake had, was not exactly the same. Uh, which of course, we all know that, but you know, for us, uh, suddenly we realized that, okay, we had found something great the year before, but now the sake in 2019 was much more fruitier, much more fruitier, very nice sake, much more fruitier. And suddenly your parameters are changed and you need to blend again. So you need to go through that process where you understand the product. So we had, you know, you have to taste every single cask, make sure that, you know, what is the organoleptic, organoleptic uh, profile of that cask? Uh, and, and do you want to put it in your blend? And, and then what percentage of, of it do you put in your final blend? And, and, and so on. So we went last year through actually a much more... Uh, I would say thorough process of uh, testing and blending than the first year. Uh, in fact, we, we simplified the, the recipe to be able to scale it up. And so we, um, we are not using Genmai anymore. Uh, we also wanted to have uh, a Junmai Daiginjo uh, sake and Genmai was, uh, was not polished uh, enough. The semi boy was, uh, was too high. Uh, so um, we using Yamadabo and Yamada Nishiki. Uh, and also we are using a non-aged uh, Yamadabo to uh, complement uh, the blend and adjust the, the, the final taste. Interesting. And then, so now the, the product is now available. How, what is the distribution for that product then? Is that how much is in Japan or is that available overseas or what's that look like? And what does that look like 
going forward? What's your plans for that? Uh, you know, the first year, because it was an experiment, we didn't know how it was going to be perceived. So this, among these, we had 250 bottles. So we brought it to, uh, to some sake expert, to some customer, to the press. We made a tasting and, you know, just to check whether our, our product, our story was, was making sense. And we got great feedback. So second year, we decided to scale up the production. We launched it uh, in, uh, in December last year. Uh, and that was the first uh, commercial test. If I may say so. So it went into Amazon, it went uh, hotels, restaurants, as well in uh, a couple of um, uh, stores such as uh, Big Camera, Seijoichi, uh, uh, Yamaya as well, testing different distribution areas. Uh, it's, it's, it was funny actually because it sold very, very quickly on Amazon. I think it was, you know, it was, I mean, very difficult to find. A lot of people wanted to buy it, and obviously, uh, it was available on Amazon. So it's, it was sold out very quickly on Amazon. Uh, in uh, retail, obviously, nobody knows that product. So you know, the worry is that it could just sit on shelf for a very long time. Um, but it actually uh, sold quite well. It's interesting because they tried actually at Yamaya and Big. They tried also to put it in the whiskey section next to Shivas, not only in the sake section. And actually, it, yeah, so it was interesting because it, they took the initiative, actually. We didn't think about it, but they took the initiative yeah. and it worked very well. So which means whiskey drinkers actually uh, got interested by the product and they understood actually more right away, you know, okay, what type, why is there is a sake in whiskey? Okay, it's because it's aged in whiskey cask. Suddenly it clicks. Whereas when you are in the sake world, uh, you know, it's much more difficult to, uh, to, to, to emerge. On, on the show, we've often discussed about uh, the current state of the sake market in Japan and the fact that uh, few people are regularly drinking sake uh, in Japan today. And that's probably the case for Pernorica's employees as well uh, in, your, in your workforce. I mean, uh, can you share with us a little bit what the internal reaction was within the group uh, about this product? Um, well, I think it's uh, now, nowadays there is uh, a fantastic pride, really, really a fantastic pride among the employees of uh, having been able to do that. But I can tell you that at the beginning, I think everybody was worried that we would actually fail or create something that is uh, not our expertise and, you know, something that would not look good for, for the company. So everybody was worried. And um, I would say, especially the older generation. Um, but the younger generation, I have a lot of people in my, in my team who are in their 20s. They were super excited. They loved the taste. They loved the story. Uh, you know, ladies in their, in their 20s, early 30s, you know, they, they, they found it fantastic. Um, but the older generation was more uh, suspicious, I would say. Because it's, you know, it's, it's like going out of your comfort zone, going out of your field of expertise. But nowadays, yes, big pride. And are, are there, I mean, particular challenges for you as, as a company to, to build a long-term strategic plan for, for a product like this? Yes, yes, because um, the difficulty is to... Um, 
is to understand the market, to understand the market, to understand the potential, to get some da da data. You know, there is, it's very difficult to get some data on, uh, on, on sake. So to be able to understand, you know, what will be the um, ultra premium sake category in five to 10 years from now in Japan and around the world. So creating models and um, creating business plans that can be uh, trusted is more challenging than in uh, other categories that we, uh, that we know. Actually. You know, the challenge is to reassure uh, top management uh, that uh, there, is a, there is a potential there. And here I'm, here I'm, I'm going now beyond you know, the passion of a couple of entrepreneurs, uh, you know, creating a, a nice product, uh, which is Link. Uh, you know, if we, are, if we start to talk about, you know, how do we scale this up? How do we invest into a significant production capabilities uh, with a cask warehousing, for example, and, 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 and sake tanks and, and so on? What's the, what's the next five to 10 years uh, potential? Is Panorica ready to invest into that? That's, uh, that's still an open question. And how do the Shivas people look at it? Ah, it's interesting. They, uh, I would say it's uh, from the production side, they are extremely, uh, extremely interested. Um, actually, I'm going to throw a little bit of a news, but um, we've sent to Shivas some cask, uh, which uh, Saki was aged into for them actually to try finishing some whiskey with this cask. Why? Because at the beginning, the story with, was a cask exchange with uh, Masuizumi, in the same way we had done with David Craft uh, Beer Brewery. So, no, so these days in Scotland, they're actually trying to age some whiskey in ex-sake cask. And, uh, and it's quite, the result is quite interesting because sake is bringing some sweetness. Mm, when, when, when the post works again, you have to do something about this. And, and <laughs> Yeah, so it's still very early stage, but I can tell you the uh, Sandy Hislop, the, the Shiva's Master Blender, is, uh, was very excited a couple of months back saying it works. Because, you know, you, you can imagine sake is going to impact, uh, sorry, whiskey is going to impact the sake, but the reverse, it's, it, it's, not, it's not obvious, right? How, how can sake, which is a lighter product, impact the whiskey is, is less, less obvious. Yeah. So just to clarify, when you say a cask that has had sake aged in it, are you referring to the casks that were used for Link, or are you referring to a separate sake product that was in, say, in Japan, what they would call like a kiyoke or a taru or one of those types of casks? What, just to clarify what we're referring to there. Yeah, good question. In fact, we used a virgin oak uh, cask uh, sent to us from Scotland. Uh, where we, we age uh, sake into. So it was not one of the casks uh, used for Link. Uh, that was the first trial was made with, uh, with Virgin Oak cask. But I think we should try, and I think we should try with a cask where uh, Link, well, we used for Link as well. Yeah, creating a circulation between uh, Scotland and, and Japan. Um... I can tell you, it's um, it's very for me. It was it was a, a high opener. You know that story of sake being aged in whiskey cask, and the fact that when you taste the product, you actually you feel the sake. It's a sake definitely with the freshness and the fruitiness, but you have these notes of uh, of whiskey coming up, some light notes of uh, of vanilla and nuttiness, and 
the story the story is very clear and a lot of um, a lot of the people we talk to consumer press sommeliers bartenders they they want to they understand the story right away and they want to taste it they find it interesting they want to taste it and, and that's already a first uh, a first win and and then the next one is of course if the taste is good they they they, they might come back to it but the the yeah i was i was really really impressed by the feedback that on, on the on the story what's what is as of right now what's sort of the global scope for link uh, you mentioned previously distribution within japan specifically is this a product that you're looking to take to multiple international markets or what is sort of the outlook right now well r- right now it's only japan basically the approach has been simply let's try in japan if we can make it work in japan uh, then it means the, the product itself, the story, uh, is robust enough to uh, to be to be scaled up. Um, we are producing only um, 12,000 bottles, and obviously that's not enough to, uh, to to export. So I think the, the the answer is in the question: is now what's the what's the plan for exports? Um, what quantity? When you know when when are we able to invest into um, scaling up the production? And uh, I mean, currently working on it. Obviously, the current situation makes it it's probably going to delay a little bit the uh, the expansion of that project. Yeah, I mean, since you mentioned it, can you share a little bit with us how you see the world now in the midst of this uh, Corona crisis? I mean, in Japan at the time of recording. We've been in a state of emergency for how many days now? Two, three weeks, yeah. So what's been the impact, Jan? Well, you know, it's, uh, you know it's, it's, it feels already like a long time because uh, since uh, late January, uh, we had the first cases in Japan and, and, and uh, uh, the, the cruise, uh, the cruise uh, princess in the port of Yokohama. And, um, and basically, we've been home working at Panamica since uh, February 25th. So from a business standpoint, February was fine. Uh, March actually saw a decline. A lot of events were cancelled. But I would say operation were maintained in, in all restaurants and bars. April is really the month when um, all the uh, night business is, is simply closed. Bars, restaurants, hotels, um, banquet events, weddings, everything is closed. So the impact of the, on the business is really, really significant in, um, in the month of April. It's going to continue in May, definitely. Um, a lot of our customers are closing or operating at you know, minimum level. Uh, a lot of them are trying to survive, uh, uh, investing into home, home deliveries and and I think it, it creates also new, um, new, new trends, but hopefully everybody will be able to resume operations, restaurants, bars, and nightclubs, so that uh, we, avoid, we avoid actually having massive uh, bankruptcies, uh, which would take time to, uh, to, to, re, to, 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 to rebound if this happens. So, I mean, that said, I think everybody knows that. Now, that said, we have to learn how to live with the virus. You know, there is really now a very clear understanding that, you know, we won't get a treatment before the end of the year, or if we have one before, it's a good news. We won't get a vaccine before end of 2021. So we definitely have to learn how to live with the virus, with uh, social distancing, um, 
for the next two years. So will restaurant operate one table out of two? Uh, how about bars, uh, nightclubs? We, we have to live with, with that so that uh, we, we start our lives. So basically, you are expecting long-lasting impacts. That's the bad news for the day. Or is it... Well... No, I mean, there is no... Uh, there is a long-lasting impact. I think we have to be, uh, we have to be uh, clear, clear on that. And, and I'm a very optimistic guy. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm passionate. Uh, but on that particular point, I think we have, re we have to be ready for, for the worst and hope for the best. Yeah, and, and I don't know how much you can speak to, you know, Pinot Ricard as a, as a whole, but how do you look at sort of your role in sort of the larger scheme of things of sort of looking at helping to develop what that next phase of where does just alcohol is an overall category? How does that integrate into the, into this next, who knows, year, two years, five years, whatever this turns into down the road? How do you look at sort of your role in that? Yeah, so I, th I think there is the short term and, and the long term. In the short term, you know, it's all about uh, protecting the health of our employees, the health of our workers in the vineyard, in the distilleries, who are continuing to, 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 to produce at the moment. Uh, also seeing immediately how we can actually uh, contribute to the society. So there are a lot of initiatives such as producing uh, hand sanitizers, uh, alcohol uh, in, in France, in, in basically in all our production sites in the US, in, in Scotland, in Ireland, um, in Sweden. Um, that's, the, that's the short term. Um, now, I would say uh, our mission as a company is to create, we, we call ourselves in French, Créateur de Convivialité. So I'm going to try to translate in English, Creators of Conviviality. So, so, you know, we beyond actually just um, providing high quality alcohols, um, you know, we are here actually to create moments where people get together, uh, moments where people enjoy being together. This can be family moments, this can be moments with friends. Um, we, br we bring brands from all around the world um, and share it with different cultures. So how Panerica as a company can uh, bring conviviality back into a world that uh, desperately needs it more than ever. I think the, the tension, the tension uh, in the world is, you know, it's just, it's just increasing a lot and that worries me a lot. But, you know, how can we bring back some moments of togetherness? Uh, uh, I think that's our role. And, and of course, Uh, wines and spirits, uh, sake, uh, uh, you know, play play a big role in that. It's a, it's a lubricant. It's a lubricant for 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 social gathering. Well, with a product named Link, clearly you have. A... <laughs> yeah, Link. It's all about uh, it's all about actually a story of. Uh, You know, in the team, we have a French guy, myself, we have a German guy, uh, we have a, a Japanese guy. At the beginning, we had a Korean guy, and then we have a Japanese second maker. So it's a multinational team, passionate, uh, who create something together. So stepping back from that just, just a little bit and sort of looking at Link again and sort of in Sake, you were mentioning that the product, right now it's focused more specifically on the, on the Japanese market. So you're kind of, you're looking at how to sell sake, a sake product in a Japanese market as a, 
non you're you're not a sake maker that's not your your background what is what was sort of that learning process like and what did what were you able to utilize say from other categories or were there any interesting sort of learning experiences or things you noticed about the nature of trying to bring a sake product to japan yeah and no, it's uh, there was a bit of apprehension actually uh from uh, from the sales team uh to uh, to sell it why because they never sold sake before they didn't know the category actually we obviously we have our own sales force in japan we have seven branches from hokkaido all the way down to kyushu and the first thing we had to do actually to be able to sell sake is to get the license to sell sake in all the prefectures and to get that you need actually to have the commitment from at least two of your wholesaler per prefecture that they are going to order some some sake from you so we had to go to go through that you know very very tedious process prefecture by prefectures finding customer who are going to trust us and that was the first step and when we went through that process we got a lot of positive feedback uh, everybody was saying yes 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 of course no problem I, you know i sign you the commitment yes of course we are going to order your sake it's good uh, and and suddenly it became just like an evidence that you know there was no actually barriers or restriction for us to sell sake it was as uh, as easy i would say as uh, the rest of the portfolio uh, and then so that was six months before the launch roughly and then when we when we launched it and came to the market in, in december uh, you know everybody was uh, you know just simple happy took it uh, distributed it uh, put it on shelf uh, brought it to restaurants bars and 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 tried and now it's uh, it's part of everyday life. You in your in your portfolio, you've you've got uh, different spirits, different wines, um, excellent champagne. I mean, is, is it particularly difficult to brand sake? You think in the world market, or any is there anything specific to sake that makes it um, difficult to uh, to present to the world? It's, it's, I think it's difficult because people, people don't know the category. They have not been educated to the category. They have not been educated by their parents. They have not been educated by any sommelier or bartender. So when you don't know the category and you're in, you're in front of a, you know, a shelf with many different sakes, you're just totally lost. And, and for wine, you, you also have the same situation sometimes. It's, it's not easier, but sake is even more complicated because you've not been educated unless you're in japan so so what you were explaining earlier um that when you went to the country i mean to the to the to the local prefectures in japan and trying to convince your clients that they should um, take your product and you didn't know if they would do it or not you actually had a very good surprise as you explained to us um, all clients said yes of course you will take it we like the story um, so it means that that may not happen overseas or, or that more needs to be done overseas would you would you agree with that or yeah there is a there is a big role of education there's a big work of education to be done as we we all know that um, I think what helped us uh, with Link is that we brought uh, that additional story of a sake being aged in a Shivas cask. And Shivas is also a brand that resonates. 
So it's a new, you know, it's not like we bring a new sake which has a very particular uh, elaboration method that is difficult to explain. We just bring a product that is a sake aged in ex whiskey cask. And that's very easy to understand. And it's from a brand, Shivas, that has some uh, awareness. And, you know, it's as simple as that. And I think people want to try it. And, you know, that's already, wow, the first big win. And the second one is, of course, the taste has to be fantastic uh, so that it survives. Uh, so one of the difficulties of sake is actually to get to that simplicity of, you know, what is your unique point of difference? Um, what is your what, what are you trying to, to 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 say through your product and is the taste of your product actually matching with your story in the process of creating link then what was what did you discover that then that was that that piece that thing that you were that you felt like you could communicate that you could get people to latch on to what, what was it was there something that you found and then how that that lines up with that profile that you're talking about oh i think yes i think a couple of things. So first, at the beginning, the question is, what can we bring to the industry of sake? I mean, there is no point of Panorica entering sake and doing the same as everyone, everyone, everybody else. So what can we bring in that partnership with Masuizumi? Okay, aging and blending. Okay, let's work on that. That's, how, that's going to be our point of difference. So we worked on that. And then um, the second point of difference was the association between, between two uh, uh, high-quality, well-known houses, Shivas and Masuizumi. Okay, that's also a very interesting point, disassociation. Uh, um, so everybody's interested to understand how, you know, what these two houses together can create. And, and that's it. Uh, and, and then we are looking as a brand name, um, as a common point between the two houses and I always come back to that but taste 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 the quality of the taste also at the end makes makes a difference if it's good uh, and if it's consistent with the story then it, it, it may survive what what is what is it it's unique about using sake then in, in that product um, you know it's clearly it's not a whiskey product it's a sake product that has you know influence from whiskey in those casts but it's What's that, what's that thing that sake brings to it? Wow, that's a, <laughs> that's a good question and difficult one. Uh, you know, what comes to my mind like this uh, is, well, sake is different. Sake is sake. And um, I don't know, like, for example, I'm trying to think, you know, what, would it make sense actually to age a wine in uh, ex-whiskey cask, uh, like a white wine? Well, the fact is that we, we've done it now. We've done it in, uh, in Australia with Jacob's Creek. And, and it's interesting and it works. Um, but yes, what sake for, for me is just, uh, it, it's, it's more like what whiskey brings to sake. <laughs> um, one, maybe, I don't know, but compared to wine, uh, I think sake um, as Genshu undiluted has a higher percentage of alcohol. Does it help the product to capture more of the aromas coming from the oak, coming from the um, cask than wine, for example? Um, I guess there, there, there may be a, a, a chemical study to, uh, 
to run on that, how uh, about the interaction between the I don't know maybe the, what is there polyphenol in the uh, in in the wood and and the sake? Well, I'm not. I'm, I'm a marketing guy, right? I'm not um, a chemist. Um, well, through that process, I became uh, I became a master blender. But uh, <laughs> definitely, something that I know is the higher the percentage of alcohol, the higher uh, the aromas you extract from the cask. That's clear. So definitely, sake would uh, would extract a bit more aromas than wine, for sure. What is so I, I wish I, I really I wish I had a bottle of Link in front of me right now so I could just look at it. <laughs> but what is what's the what's the alcohol percentage on it? Is it, is it against you? Uh, yes, yes. With Link, um, in my my personal experience, we have a product that is a very good match for a certain type of um, of of food, uh, and I'm thinking of uh, Western food in particular, and even grilled meat and and such dishes that are not always easy to pair with uh, traditional sake. So that's uh, something interesting. And, and But at the same time, I find a link, a product that is highly enjoyable on its own as, as an aperitif. Um, and again, this opens up uh, another dimension. I mean, it's not the only sake that is, enjoy that is enjoyable on its own, but it's it's got this two roles that it, that it can fit in very easily. Um, and then the question I have for, for, for Jan is, sake is, is known as a drink that will, before anything, be, um, how can I say, built or, or designed to match food. Either, was it a parameter in your, in your, in your reflections, uh, Jan, or, or not at all? Yes, um, I remember having actually a um, discussion with uh, Masuda-san when we created the first link. I, I, wanted, I really wanted to keep the freshness of the sake. Uh, he wanted to go very far in the whiskey influence. Uh, and, and I think that was making total sense because he's a sake maker and obviously doing that partnership with a whiskey brand, the idea for him was to you know, push the innovation quite far with a strong impact of whiskey. And me being new to sake and being a, you know, real lover of actually Masuizumi sake, I wanted to retain the purity and the freshness of, of these sakes. And so we had that uh, heated debate on, you know, how, how far should we go with the aging uh, um, and, and so on. At the end, uh, what I was looking for is um, a product where you you feel the freshness and the purity of the sake, but you also you also have um, the intensity of the of the whiskey notes, but always being on that balance between uh, freshness and intensity. And 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 it's true that we have a product when you, if you drink it a bit cold in a narrow glass, you will more feel the fresh notes of the sake, and you can pair it with with fish easily with. Uh, uh, and when you uh, you put it in a in a wider glass and you you, you drink it around uh, you know 10 12 degrees then suddenly the whiskey notes becomes you know much stronger and you can either drink it on its own or you, you know it goes fantastically well with uh, meat with uh, uh, even like uh, dry dry ham for example uh, we, we tried several times so and, and that's what I like in this uh, in this link as well is this you know this balance between 
freshness, but also intensity. And that's what makes it uh, quite versatile today. Was there, did you go through any sort of rigorous process as to where does this product fit on the dinner table or at the bar in relation to different types of food? You know, the images that comes to my mind are actually drinking sake in Toyama. I think we did all the different restaurants of the city. <laughs> uh, with all the sake from uh, Masuizumi as well as Link. And we tried it with many different types of food. So actually going through the blending process and all these uh, trips to Toyama, actually, we of course uh, tasted it with many, many different types of food. And I think that unconsciously uh, came through the, through the blend. But there was no rigorous process of thinking, okay, that's going to pair with this type of food or this type of food. No, not at all. I think we were very focused on the, on the liquid. And I think, I mean, quite simply, we wanted to create something that we like. As simple as that, you know, we didn't really care about, you know, whether it's going to pair well with any type of food. We just wanted to have something that we like and it's a good balance between the purity of sake and, uh, and the whiskey influence. Fantastic. Thank you. There's, there was tons of great insight. Um, in there. Um, I don't want to take too much of your beautiful afternoon here. I know you've got a lot going on and uh, a lot to, a lot to be, uh, a lot to be thinking about here at the moment, but yeah, thank you so much for making time. Uh, is there anything that, that you're particularly excited about or right now or anything that you'd like to share with listeners or a message for people during this time or anything? Well, I would say at the moment, um, like, like everyone, I think uh, we, we just need to uh, to be focused on um, you know basically health health of employees health of families and customers and uh, you know keeping uh, keeping the business afloat uh, keeping our, our people and and yeah it's not really a period where we are uh, building plans for new uh, new innovations uh, right now so but this will come back this will come back I think we have to go through uh, through that period and uh, and be optimistic. It's, a, it's, it's a still very early stage, but there are some uh, trends that uh, existed before the crisis, such as uh, um, the authenticity of and the quality of in the making. Uh, so all the, the spirits and wines and, and, and sakes and that are, that are successful right now are products which are well-made with high quality standards with a sustainable process. And I think this crisis is actually potentially accelerating that trend. So the brand that will survive and the product that will survive in the long term are, are you know, those who, are, who have a strong craft and authentic story behind. Also the ones which stand for um, strong values, whether they are cultural values, historical values, uh, this is what people are, are looking for and continue to look for even more in the future. Uh, now there is also another trend which is health. Um, uh, it was existing before the crisis. People now take pay more attention to their health. Drink less, but drink better. I think we, we are familiar with this in sake. Um, and <laughs> of course with this crisis, this is going to, um, to accelerate. Uh, so I feel the new generation is going to drink less, but they're going to, to look for more high quality products. So for the industry, it means that uh, the turnover could 
remain the same or increase a bit. It's just the number of bottles being sold is going to continue to further decline, I think. Um, and I think it's uh, it's not a bad news to um, to, uh, to to look for you know to have the opportunity to drink better products, maybe less often, but of higher quality. Uh, and I think everybody. The third thing I would like to say is that I'm sure after this period, everybody will be desperate to get back together and celebrate, right? So that's about conviviality, right? When do we get back together? Uh, and I'm sure in a couple of months there are going to be a lot of occasion to uh, to be back together and and celebrate with something with something we like, uh, and, and we'll be back. Yeah. A bottle of Link seems like a very uh, accurate uh, product to have around on some of those occasions. We'll have to we'll have to look into that. Yeah, yeah I mean, even though that product's been is. I mean, it's made by Panorica, which is an international group. It's it's uh, an interesting example of um, how passion from a small team um, can generate innovation, and how when when you have the passion, all the pieces kind of fall together at the same time in 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 the right place, and how the the end result is something that. After all, sounds sounds very natural, doesn't it? I mean, the, it's as you said, it's it's that story is it's very easy to to uh, to present and to um, and to sell. At the same time, there was no uh, preconceived strategic plan about 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 making it happen. It's really started from your desire and that particular meeting with uh, with Masuda-san and, and Nakata-san. Yeah. I mean, there was some funny, funny, funny moments in the company where I was asked actually to make a strategic plan. And I said, you know, I don't want to make a strategic plan. I want to make a good product. You know, let me first make a good product and then we'll see. <laughs> so, so far, so good. So. Well, Jan, thank you very, very much for your time. Uh, we're going to leave you now and uh, enjoy your Golden Week weekend. Um, we'll be having you again on Sake on Air in the future, I hope, uh, to talk about a new projects, new new involvement of Panorica in the landscape of Japanese alcoholic beverages. I'd love to um, have Panorica's views on uh, Shochu and Awamori, as we, we discussed earlier in the show, uh, which are closer to your traditional portfolio. So uh, looking forward to that. And that wraps it up for one more episode of Sake on Air. If you would be so kind as to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform it is that you are streaming Sake on Air on, it would really mean a lot to us. You can follow us at, at Sake on Air on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, as well as check us out on YouTube. As always, Sake on Air is made possible with the fantastic support of the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association. And in 90% of the cases, we are broadcasting from the Japan Sake and Shochu Information Center in Tokyo, which has just reopened for business. Thanks again so much to everyone for tuning in, and we look forward to sending more sake on air your way in a couple of weeks. Come by. Bye.